the whole pandemic. All right. You know, this limiting to an hour is killing me. I'm just like, Lord, I have so much to say. <laughs> I'm like, listen, September, when we go back to, uh, to 90 minutes, I'm like, I feel free. I'll be like, I'll be sitting here looking at my notes like, okay, looking at the clock, I'm like, cut this out. I'm like, cut that out. <laughs> Janita just say I prepared too much, but, you know, it's just so much information. I can't, don't know what to cut, you know. All right, so. So I've been struggling this last year, but in September when we get back to um, things back to normal, God's willing, I was like, yeah, I'm like I can talk for a whole hour now and and still be fine. All right, not feel guilty. <laughs> All right, like Pharaoh, yes, let my people go. There you go. <laughs> All right. Um, Real quick, like I said, I wanted to finish up the, these last uh, six Sundays. We've been been focusing on the Trinity, okay? Um, and so, to, um, to last Sunday and today, I wanted to uh, talk just about the Holy Spirit, and um, I want to finish that up today so that we can um, uh, get started with the Book of Malachi, okay? So, um, so of course, you all should be reading Malachi five times, all right? Five times so that we can be prepared. Be prepared. Uh, for that, it'll help you. Reading through the um, book will help you um, as we work our way through the uh, through the book of Malachi. It'll help you to have things that'll stand out in your mind, so that as we're working our way through it, um, you know, you may get clarity on on different things that that stood out to you in reading the book. Okay, so y- you can read it however you want to read it. You know, I just prefer. You know, I like to just read straight through five times, get them out the way, and be done. Janita. You know, she'd be like, what chapter are you reading this Sunday? <laughs> I'm like, chapter one. And so that week she'll read chapter one five times, okay? However you prefer to do it, it's up to you, all right? But um, try to get through Malachi five times, amen? Amen. All right, so the Holy Spirit. Last week we focused pretty much on um, the fact that the Holy Spirit is a person, all right? Um, so we kind of... Uh, Again, just like last week, the last six weeks, we're running like Bible study, okay? This is a, a very, you know, hard subject to comprehend, the Trinity, right? Trying to understand, get your arms around an infinite God, right, is, is, is impossible. So I wanted to slow it down. If you have questions at any moment, feel free to stop me, ask, um, and I will answer the question, all right? And if we go past 12 o'clock, it's your fault, all right? <laughs> all right. I'm joking. I'm joking. I'm joking. All right. So um, the first thing I wanted us to understand and what we spent out the whole time on last week about the Holy Spirit is the Holy Spirit is a person. Okay, The Holy Spirit is a person. The reason I wanted to make sure that we focused, um, um, you know, all last week on that is because there is a lot of misunderstanding about the about the, the Holy Spirit. Right. Um, it's, it's, it's easy for us to understand God, the father. It's easy for us to understand Jesus. He's a person like we are. Um, but generally, you know, most people don't really understand the Holy Spirit. He's like the stepchild of, of the Trinity. Okay? So, so um, you know, a lot of times, you know, people call the Holy Spirit an it, right? They don't really see him as, as a person. Um, of course, once you uh, 
look at like uh, Unitarian views or like the uh, Jehovah's Witnesses view that the Holy Spirit is more like an inanimate force, like the power of God accomplishing things. Right. It really just muddies our understanding of the person of the Holy Spirit. So um, I w- helped us to see last week that the Holy Spirit is a person. He is not a human being. Okay, so like I said last week, in order to be a human being, right, you have to have a a human body. Okay, so he is not a human being like Jesus is, but he is a person. So because the three things at a minimum, the three things that you need in order to be a person is mind, will and emotions. Right. You have to be able to think. You have to be able to uh, feel. And you have to be able to make choices. And so we looked at several passages of scripture last week um, that shows that the Holy Spirit does possess mind, will and emotions. Right. Um, he, he thinks uh, he is grieved when we sin. Right. We saw that in Ephesians chapter four. It says, you know, don't let any filthy communication come out of your mouth and do not grieve the Holy Spirit. So he's grieved when we say things that are are uh, inappropriate as Christians. OK. Um, And he also makes choices. We saw in first Corinthians chapter 12 that the Holy Spirit is the one who chooses which spiritual gifts each uh, Christian gets. Okay, so we we saw several passages of scripture on on all of those things today. I want us to focus on the fact that the Holy Spirit is God. The Holy Spirit is God. So I want us to look at at a a couple of passages of, of scripture just dealing with that. Um, because we, we, we do believe in the Trinity, right? That there are three persons, um, and yet there is still one God. And so we did the same thing with Jesus. We looked at passages that talked about, um, you know, how Jesus, even though he was a human being, is God. We want to do the same thing with the, the Holy Spirit. So first I want us to see that the Holy Spirit possesses divine attributes, okay? I'm, I'm not going to go over all of the, the passages that we looked at um, last week to show that uh, we know that God the Father is everywhere present, right? He's omnipresent, meaning he's everywhere, right? Um, we know that so looked at passages about the Holy Spirit uh, being um, God the Father is all-powerful. We saw a passage that the Holy Spirit is all-powerful, and we looked at passages, um, talked about how God the Father is all-knowing, and that the Holy Spirit is all-knowing. I want us to pick up back at first I mean, at um, Psalm 139. This is where we left off last Sunday. Psalm 139. And what I'm, I want us to see is that when we talk about there being one God... Right. We want to want to keep in mind that we 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 don't confuse who God is with what God is. Okay, so when we're talking about who God is, we're talking about the three persons of the Trinity, the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit. Right. But when we say that there is one God, we're not talking about the Father, the Son and the Spirit. We're talking about their nature. Right their attributes, their characteristics, being all-powerful, all-knowing, everywhere present, holy, gracious, merciful, righteous, okay? So when we talk about 
Jesus being God and the Holy Spirit being God, we're not equating them with the Father. We're equating their nature with the Father's nature. Everybody with me? All right. And so um, here we all know that, that God the Father is, is present everywhere. But listen to what David says about God's spirit in Psalm 139. He says, O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up, you discern my thoughts from far away. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all of my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, O Lord, you know it completely. You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for, for me. It is so high that I cannot attain it. Excuse me. Where can I go from your spirit or where can I flee from your presence? OK, so uh, again, in Hebrew, this is synonymous parallelism, meaning that the whole the spirit of God is the same thing as being in the presence of God. OK, verse eight. If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and settle at the farthest limits of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light surround me. Um, the e I'm sorry. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light around me become night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is as bright as the day, for darkness is as light to you. Now, notice here <coughs> how David is talking about how God knows everything about him, right? He knows when he wakes up, when he lays down, where he's going, right? He even knows the words that are going to come out of his mouth before he even knows it, okay? And then he goes on to explain how he knows this, and he says, how can I get away from your spirit? How can I get out of your presence? If I were to go to heaven, you're there. If I were to go to hell, you are there as well. If I could take the wings of the morning and go to the farthest part of the, of the earth, right, where no one else can see me, even there, you know, your, your hand would guide me. Okay. So David's point is God's spirit is everywhere present at the same time. And, and because his spirit is everywhere, God's presence is everywhere. Anybody have a question with, um, about that? I want to raise the question that, that uh, Nayla brought up to me last week, before, if anyone, no one has a question. Okay. Um, now, real quick, before I, I move on, Nayla asked me this question about this passage last week, and I think it's a, a great question. Okay. So, um, David says, if I make my bed in hell, behold... You are there. Okay. So her question was, I thought people who go to hell can't, are not around God. How can God be in hell? Anybody ever thought about that? Okay. So great question. So the answer is God is omnipresent. <laughs> he is everywhere present at the same time. So God's presence is also in hell. There can be no place 
where God is not. The only difference is in hell, the people in hell have no opportunity to have a relationship with God. God must be there or else he would not be omnipresent, right? He has to be present everywhere, right, in order to be omnipresent because he knows what's going on everywhere. But in hell, people cannot have a relationship with God there. I think that's part of it because, uh, yeah, yeah, I, th- I definitely think so. I mean, because in hell, people will, will, of course, you will remember all of the opportunities that you heard the gospel and rejected the gospel, and and that itself will be torturous. But to to know that that God's presence is there, but you cannot interact with Him, have a relationship with Him at all, I think just adds to it. No. No. So again, right, it was a parable. Jesus told the parable, right, of, of Lazarus um, and, and the rich man. So, right, the rich man goes to goes to hell. He's not talking to God. He was talking to Abraham. Right. So um, but no, I don't think that they will be able to talk to God, have a relationship with God at at all. They will be able to communicate with people in hell. But, you know, I don't know what they'll be saying more than, ah, <laughs> I, I don't know. I don't, I don't know. I, I, I don't know how you talk when you're on fire. I just don't, I just don't know. But they will be able to, I'm not joking. It's not funny because, you know, but, but yeah, they, they will not have an opportunity to have a relationship with God. Once, once you die and go to hell, that's it. There are no, you know, I, I know a lot of people are, are banking on purgatory, but, you know, that's in the apocrypha. It's not in the <laughs> that's not in scripture. Okay. Anybody? Any other questions about that? All right, real quick. Let's um look at an- another pa- couple passages on this. So, um, first, like the um the, the first scriptures we looked at were just um last week on the Holy Spirit's deity. Um, are, are talking about how He possesses the same attributes as God. Okay. Um, here, I want us to see that he performs the works that the Bible ascribes to God the Father. Okay, so so there are a list of 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 um, works that the Bible says only God can do, and then when we look at other passages, it says that the Holy Spirit is the one who is doing these works. Okay, so so some passages say that. God created the world, okay? We, then we looked in John chapter 1, um, Colossians. We saw several passages in the New Testament, Hebrews chapter 1, that says Jesus created the world, okay? Um, so we're now going to look at, at different passages that will um, we'll also, we can't, I'm not only look at one, one of the passages that says that it is the Holy Spirit who creates, okay? So the Spirit performs 
the works that are attributed to God. Okay, first, look at Genesis chapter 1. All of us should know this one. Genesis chapter 1, verse 2. It's interesting that the Holy Spirit is mentioned in the Bible even before Jesus is mentioned. (laughs) Genesis chapter 1. In the beginning, when God created the heavens and the earth, the earth was formless and void and darkness covered the face of the deep. While a wind of God swept over the face of the waters. Okay. Now, again, y'all know me. I know we use the NRSV, but I told you there's several places I just don't like the way they translate it from (laughs) from the original language, right? Now, remember we talked about um, that the last Sunday that the Hebrew word ruach means wind, breath, or spirit, okay? Wind, breath, or spirit. Now, they chose to uh, translate this as a wind of, of God, um, but all of the translations translated as the spirit of God. And I think that that is the best um, translation and understanding of it. When you look at not only uh, uh, Genesis chapter one, but throughout the Old Testament, when it talks about um, creation, these these works are attributed to the spirit. So I think that it's better to see that this passage is referring to the Holy Spirit in verse two. OK, so. God creates the heavens and the earth and God's spirit is then hovering like a like a, 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 a mother bird over her 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 chicks. Right. Is, is hovering over creation to protect it and to form it when God speaks. Everybody see that. I want you to look at Psalm 104. Psalm 104. Again, this is a a psalm about creation. One oh four. Psalm one oh four. I'll read it quickly. Bless the Lord, O my soul. O Lord my God, you are very great. You are clothed with honor and majesty, wrapped in light as with a garment. You stretch out the heavens like a tent. You set the beams of your chambers on the waters. You make the clouds your chariot. You ride on the wings of the wind and you um, you make the winds your messengers, fire and flame your ministers. You set the earth on its foundation so that it shall never be shaken. You cover it with the deep as with a garment. The waters stood above the mountains at your rebuke. They flee at the sound of your thunder. They take flight. They rose up to the mountains, ran down to the valleys, to the place that you appointed for them. You set a boundary that they may not pass so that they might not again cover the earth. You make springs gush forth in the valleys. They flow between the hills, giving drink to your um, to every wild animal. The wild asses quench their thirst by the streams. The birds of the air have their habitation. They sing among the branches from your lofty abode. You um, you water the mountains. The earth is satisfied with the fruit of your works. 
You cause the grass to grow for the cattle and the plants for people to use, to bring forth food from the earth and wine to gladden the human heart, oil to make the face shine and bread to strengthen the human heart. The trees of the Lord are watered abundantly, the cedars of Lebanon that he planted. In them the birds build their nests, the stork um, has its home in the fir trees, the high mountains are for the wild goats, the rocks are a refuge for the, um, the conies. You have made the moon to mark the seasons, the sun knows it's time for setting. You make darkness and it is night, when all the animals of the forest come creeping out. The young lions roar for their prey, seeking their food from God. When the sun rises, they withdraw and lie down in their dens. People go out to their work and to their labor until the evening. O Lord, how manifold are your works. In wisdom you have made them all. The earth is full of your creatures. Yonder is the sea, great and wide. Creeping things innumerable are there, living things both small and great. There uh, uh, go the ships and Leviathan that you form to sport in it. These, uh, these all look to you to give them their food in due season. When you give them, they gather it up. When you open your hand, they are filled with good things. When you hide your face, they are dismayed. When you take away their breath, they die and return to their dust. When you send forth your spirit, they are created and you renew the face of the ground. May the glory of the Lord endure forever, and may the Lord rejoice in his works, who looks on the earth, and it trembles, who touches the mountains, and they smoke. I will sing to the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praise to my God while I have being. May my meditation be pleasing to him, for I rejoice in the Lord. Let sinners be consumed from the earth, and let the wicked be no more. Blessed be the Lord, O my soul. Praise the Lord. Now, notice this psalm is praising God for all of his work in creation. And at the end of of all of these verses on what God has done to create, he says, you send forth your spirit and they are created. So here the psalmist is is saying that in the work of God doing creation, right? That the spirit of God, as he goes forth, is the one that does the creating. But the psalm is written to God. (laughs) But in this psalm about God creating, he talks about the work that the spirit does. Um, I want you to turn to the New Testament. Matthew chapter 1, Matthew chapter 1. Someone asked this question, uh, a similar question to this on uh, Wednesday night in Bible study, right? So uh, the question was about Jesus and how uh, Joseph was not his natural father, right? And so uh, we all know that that God, the father, is Jesus's father. Right. And yet Matthew chapter one says that it is the Holy Spirit who generated Jesus in the womb of Mary. Matthew chapter one. Verse 18. Now, the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, took place in this way. 
when his mother Mary had been engaged to Joseph, but before they lived together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Her husband Joseph, being a righteous man and unwilling to expose her to public disgrace, planned to dismiss her quietly. But just when he had resolved to do this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Okay. So Ma Mary's conception of Jesus was done by the Holy Spirit. Okay, Matthew and Luke also um, talk about how um, they just used the, the phrase that the Holy Spirit overshadowed Mary and Jesus was formed in her womb. All right. So G that the Holy Spirit is responsible for the humanity of Jesus. Right. He is the one who generated Jesus in Mary's womb. OK. Um, next. <coughs> Whose word is this? It's God's word. Okay. This is God's word. Okay. Second Peter chapter one. Second Peter chapter one. Only got a couple more and then I'll, I'll be done. Second Peter chapter one. Not only do we see in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, the passage we read this morning, Paul says, uh, um, says that, the, that he was taught the words of Scripture by the Holy Spirit, right? So the Holy Spirit is the one who, who told him what to write when he was writing Scripture. Peter says the same thing here, start at verse 19. He says, so we have the prophetic message more fully confirmed. You will do well to be attentive to this as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your heart. First of all, you must understand this, that no prophecy of scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation because no prophecy ever came by human, human will, but men and women moved by the Holy Spirit, spoke from God. Now, notice what, um, what uh, Peter's point is here. He's saying uh, in our, you know, uh, this would be something that would be great for us, okay, for our generation, because we think that uh, the Bible was just, uh, uh, you know, some men woke up one day and decided to sit down and, and write their personal experiences about God. Okay. And so Peter says that, that scripture, there is no, no personal interpretations of scripture because scripture was not written by human will. It was not the human beings that sat down and said, you know, one, let, me, let me write a letter to the church of Ephesus, and this is what I think I'll tell them, okay? That's not what happened, okay? He says that the men and women who spoke for God, they were moved by the Holy Spirit. Now, it's interesting, this word moved here, uh, um, this Greek word, 
um, when you look at the word throughout the book of Acts, right, the idea is uh, this word moved is the same word that is used of a wind sail on a boat. Right. So, you know, the, uh, a boat that is uh, pushed by the wind, they had these huge sails. Right. And as the wind blows, right, the sails, they, they expand and they push the boat along. OK. And so this is is the idea that that Peter has of how the Holy Spirit used them to write scripture. We know that, that Paul says in second second Timothy chapter three. Right. All scripture is God. Breathed. There you go. I'm going to say I, I know somebody know it. So, OK. Yes, you all were correct. It does say all scripture is given by inspiration of God. OK. I, I just don't like that interpretation anyway <laughs> the greek the, the literal word theopneustos means god breathed right um and so the idea is that the holy spirit as he breathed on them right they were carried along and moved along to write the things that he wanted them to say okay so scripture although we call it the word of god it is inspired by the Holy Spirit. Okay. Several passages attribute scripture to the Holy Spirit. Who is in control of our salvation? <laughs> I was like, y'all just be like, Jesus. Okay. And that is true. But Titus <laughs> chapter one, <laughs> I mean, Titus chapter three. Let's turn there. Titus chapter three. Titus chapter 3. Paul attributes our regeneration, our salvation, to the work of the Spirit. Verse 1. Remind them to be subject to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, and to show every courtesy to everyone. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to, er to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, despicable, hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us. He, meaning who? No, that's not what that verse says. It says, when the loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, who is that referring to? Jesus, okay. He saved us. Jesus saved us. How? Not because of any works of righteousness that we had done, but according to his mercy, through the water of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit. So how does Jesus save us? He saves us, of course. He says is, is, we're baptized, right? But it is by the regeneration of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit applies to us everything that Jesus accomplished on the cross. So this is what we looked at last week. Like Jesus says, it is good that I go away 
because if I don't go away, the Holy Spirit will not come to you. But because I go away, he will come to you and he will be in you and with you. When the Holy Spirit enters you, right, he unites you to Christ and everything that Jesus accomplished on the cross now applies to you, right? The Holy Spirit is the one, like I said last Sunday, from the moment you are saved until the day you arrive in heaven, all of that is the Holy Spirit. His job is to come live inside of us, regenerate us, empower us to live the Christian life, and to deliver us safely, Ephesians chapter 1, it is the Holy Spirit who delivers us safely into God's presence on the day that we, we go to heaven, right? Everything about a Christian life is the work of the Spirit. Everybody see that? I know I've, I've covered a whole lot. Any other questions before I hit these last couple points? All right. Um, we know from the book of Hebrews that Jesus, um, after he went to heaven, he ascended to heaven, right? He is seated at the right hand of God doing what? Interceding for us, okay? So Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he is interceding and praying on our behalf. Now, Paul says that the Holy Spirit also shares that same ministry for us. Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. And this is encouragement for those of us, all of us, when we suffer. <laughs> okay. Listen to what, what Paul says. Verse 18. I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy, c- worth comparing with the glory about to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the children of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not of its own will, but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to decay and will obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning in labor pains until now, and not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the spirit grown inwardly while we wait for adoption, the redemption of our bodies. For in hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what is seen? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses, for we do not know how to pray as we ought, but that very Spirit intercedes with sighs too deep for words and God who searches the heart knows what is the mind of the spirit because the spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God okay then we get of course the verse that we all know we know all things work together for the good (laughs) we all know that part right so listen what, what, what 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 Paul is trying to say here about the Holy Spirit He says that 
because of our sin, right, right, the, all of creation has been subject to futility, vanity, right, that, that we live, we die, we live, we die, we live, we die, we die, right? That, that process takes place not only in humanity, but all of creation. And because of that, we're all groaning because of the suffering that we all go through. And creation itself is groaning because it is not producing and living up to the purpose that God created it for because it was cursed. Remember, when, when God is talking to, um, to, to Adam, he says, cursed is the ground because of you. So all of creation is suffering under the curse of sin and and creation itself is groaning. It wants to be liberated, but it won't be liberated until we. Right. So it says that until the, the ch- children of God are revealed. Right. Uh, until Jesus returns and releases us from all of this and he regenerates the world. Right. All of creation is groaning. Now, he says we also groan. And sometimes when we're suffering, we don't know what to ask for, right? It's in those times, he says, that the Holy Spirit, he intercedes for us with words that are, um, with groans that are too deep for words. When when all you can do is, "Mm, God, I can't, we don't know what to say. The Holy Spirit knows how to take your groans and he intercedes on the um, to the Father on your behalf. Right. So the Holy Spirit's job is to intercede on our behalf. And Paul says that God knows the mind of the Spirit. So everything that the Holy Spirit wants to do for you, the Father already is able to read the Holy Spirit's mind. He already knows, and all. These things will work to good for you, if we add verse 28 into it. Anybody see that? All right. Um, Whose job is it to make sure that you as a Christian are growing spiritually? The Holy Spirit, okay? The Holy Spirit's job is to make sure that we are sanctified, that we progressively continue to become more and more holy throughout our Christian walk. Second Thessalonians. When was the last time you read First and Second Thessalonians? Yep. If it's the Holy, great question. If it is, it, if it is the Holy Spirit's responsibility to make sure that um, we are growing spiritually, how does that, int, um, you know, how does that combine that idea go together with us exercising free will, right? This is a great question. Me and Mr. Greg were talking about this the other day. Okay. How many times have you? You had it planned out in your mind. I'm going to do X, Y, Z, whether it's a sin or whatever. And something just, I don't know what it is. It's just, I just don't feel comfortable doing this. I'm like, I don't know why. I just don't have a good feeling about this. (laughs) You know, we had it all planned out. We had it all figured out. And, 
And I just get this uncomfortable feeling about that. And then we change our mind and do something else. Right. What do you call that? I call that the Holy Spirit knows how to change your mind. <laughs> right. So so what I'm saying is that the Holy Spirit does not violate our free will. Right. It We have to make the decision to do the right things and to live a holy lifestyle. But it's the Holy Spirit's responsibility to get us to to, to make the right decisions. So he will use your conscience. You know, he will use circumstances, right, to, to push you in the <laughs> in the right direction. Okay. Um, but but it is his it is the Holy Spirit that's that's doing the work. The Holy Spirit uses our conscience, right, in order to make us do the right things. And when we choose to do the wrong thing, oh my goodness, I just feel so guilty. Like, oh, why did I do oh. Jesus said, John chapter 15, that when the Holy Spirit comes. He will convict you of sin and judgment and righteousness. Okay, so when you feel guilty because you committed a sin or did something wrong, that's just not you. That's the Holy Spirit like, don't you feel bad? You know, I feel so bad about that. Why did I do that? I'm not going to do that again. John. See the exact verse. Um, verse is that? Uh, um, John 16, not 15, John 16, uh, verse, this whole section that Jesus is talking about starts at, um, well, the whole, the whole section starts at chapter 15, it go, um, verse 18, and goes down to chapter 16, verse 15. But the passage that specifically says that he is going, he convicts us of, of sin, judgment, and righteousness is verse 8. John 16, verse 8, down to verse 11. Um, oh, good. Right, you can't take the credit for it. Right. And I think that this is Paul's point is that that salvation from start to finish. Right. Well, we're talking about um, justification, meaning that, you know, Jesus died for us. You put your faith and trust in in Christ and you are instantly saved. Um, the process of sanctification. Right. You growing spiritually throughout your life um, and glorification when you get to heaven and you are perfected. Right. All of that is a gift sanctification right us growing spiritually is also a gift it's not something that we do ourselves and i think that 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 is um 
you know, Jesus's point, John, you know, John, Paul, all the, the whole point that they're trying to make to us is there is no room for self-righteousness in the Christian life. There's no time in our lives where we should look down on someone and say, hmm, why, they, why aren't they further along spiritually? Well, the reason the only reason that you're further along spiritually is because the Holy Spirit has moved you to, to where you are. If the Holy Spirit did not um, keep pressuring us, Hebrews chapter 12, spanking us, right? We would, we would all be in the, in the same place, right? Um, so the, the only reason that we are where we are spiritually is because God has been faithful. So when you get to heaven and God is passing out the rewards, nobody's going to take their rewards and be like, look what I did right? No, no, there is, there is, God does what he does, as Paul says in, in, um, on first Corinthians, so that no one can boast. We can't brag that we are further along spiritually, right? You know, and I think that that, that, this is something that we all wrestle with. I know sometimes people are like, man, Pastor, I wish I could remember all of this stuff. You know, you'd be saying this stuff in Greek or Latin and and I'm, and I'm like, that is not anything to brag about. It really isn't. I mean, did I really do anything to have a good memory or did I get that from God? I can't be like, y'all know, y'all see how many words I can memorize in Greek? (laughs) Because at at a moment's notice, God can say, take that memory away. Then what? Right? So all of us have been given different types of gifts. That's the whole point of the, the parable um, of the of the talents. He gives some people two talents. He gives some people five talents. He gives some people one talent. Our responsibility is just to be faithful with the, the talents that he's given us. If he has moved us further along in the process of sanctification than someone else, maybe, you know, someone is struggling with something you struggled with five years ago, you can't be like, why didn't I further along in the process? I'm further along. God has a different purpose for moving you faster than he did that person. It's, it's not nothing to brag about. So I, I would say it's, it's, there is no self-righteousness at, at all. He is responsible to move people along, but he moves each of us along at different paces or different rates for different reasons that we don't understand. But it is, it is all a work of the Spirit. One more question. It's Kelly's fault that we at 12 o'clock. Go ahead. (laughs) What I'm saying is that a a person who is, first of all, all of us struggle with sin. The Holy Spirit is still working in them. Yeah, so what I'm saying is that, let's say, for example, um, you know, you you have a Christian. This person, we see the person, right? We know brother so-and-so struggles with this sin, right? And and, and he come in. I'll give you an example. Um, For uh, for us who um, used to go to 1801, right, there was a a man, I'm not going to say his name, he would come in every single communion service. He would be drunk 
and he would come down the aisle and to the altar every single communion service drunk and he would ask for prayer for help he like y'all just pray for me i'm you know I'm, I'm struggling with this and i mean this went on i know i mean i know we was when we left when i was what 16 or 17 we moved to the new building and i'm like so i know it went on i know i know at least for like 10 years okay <laughs> so and, and, and i mean this went on and on and on so what do we say about him do we say that you know he just need to make better choices that's true Right. At, at, at some point, he, he needs to make a better. Choice. But what do we say about the, what is the Holy Spirit doing in his life? Right. So all I'm saying is, is that the Holy Spirit, he's God. He could at any moment know to say, boom, you're done and be and, and you, you're set. He could be set free. Right. Um, that's not how the Holy Spirit works. <laughs> right. Um, I, I think what we have to teach, show people is that God is not as interested in the destination as he is the journey. He's trying to teach us things about himself and about ourselves and about the world. Um, and, and maybe, just maybe, let me just throw, throw this out here. Maybe God allows Christians to struggle with sin for years and years and years to teach the rest of us that we aren't living like the body of Christ. Because every single time he came to the altar drunk, we would just sit there and be like, <laughs> we just sit here laughing. Instead of somebody getting up off the pew and say, you know what, let me take you home and let me get you in a, in a, in a place. We, we, we drive our cars to church, <laughs> We see homeless people on the street. I don't have time to stop to help the homeless person. I got to hurry up and get to church. We, we, we pull up in the lot and we see sister so-and-so and her five kids walking home 90-degree weather after church. And what do we do? Boom, we speed off the lot past sister so-and-so because we don't have time because we got to be the first in the line at the restaurant to eat. So maybe God takes time to sanctify some people in order to purify the rest of the church because we think that the real issue is sin, but a lot of times the real issue is not that person's sin, it's the lack of love and concern that the other members of the body have. Or as John says, if you say you have the love of God residing in you and you see one of your brothers and sisters having a need and you have the resources to meet that need and you don't. How can you say you have the love of God abiding in you? So uh, all I'm saying is that we don't know why God, you know, moves some people faster and other people slower. But God has a purpose and a reason for it all. And sometimes we think that the purpose is about this individual and it's really not. It's about, you know, how long is it going to take you all <laughs> to to get it together, to come alongside this brother and sister and, and hold them accountable if they need accountability, to help them if they need help, right? How long is it going to take you all to, to become the body of Christ? 
I'll say this, one last thing. Uh, you all met m one of my friends. He's an atheist. He came to, I don't know why, but, <laughs> but it's like, he's like, I want to come to your church. One day. I'm like, mm, come on over, <laughs> right? So he, he shows up, but, but his thing is this. He, you know, there can't be a God. Why can there not be a God? There cannot be a God because of all of the starving children in Africa. If there was a God, he would not allow that to happen. So I said, oh, I get your point. So you're saying that God is not good. He's like, no, God, there can't be a God. But if there was a God, he's not good because he wouldn't allow that to happen. I said, okay, here, this is what I want you to do, right? Because I, I know every weekend he spends a lot of money, you know, watching the fights, you know, buying beer, alcohol, burgers, all this stuff to get ready for the fights. I said, listen, this is what I'll do. All of the money that you spend on beer, alcohol, the fights, burgers, all that other stuff for one weekend, I will put that into a fund to pay for, you know, to send to some starving children in Africa if you match me with the money I send. I'm not doing that. Whoa, hold on one second. You said that God is not good because he won't feed the kids starving in Africa. And I'm saying, how about you and skip this weekend, the fight this weekend, skip your beer this weekend, and skip your burgers this weekend, and we put our money together, we send it to feed some kids in Africa. He's like, I'm not doing that, it's not my responsibility. I would say, so it's not that God is not good, you are not good, because you're condemning God for something you won't do yourself. And that's the point I made to him. God can rain burgers down from heaven any day he wants to. <laughs> right, 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 right. Sunday with the chance of meatballs, right? He, he, he can. But God has some, done something better instead. He has produced a, a, a country that is the richest country in the history of the world. Where... Everybody in the country is in the top 5%. We keep talking about the 1%. We are all in the top 5% in the whole world. The poor people in America live like kings compared to people who literally are living in the trash dumps, taking the scrap metal and put it together as a house, and they're eating the scraps in the scrap, um, in the scrap dump, I mean, in, in the trash dumps. That's what poverty is outside of America. What we see in America is not poverty. And then we say, man, somebody need to feed these people. Somebody need to do something about this. Okay, how about, you know, God has given you all of this money. Well, you know, I do got to buy my new car. I need some new shoes. I would like to help, but, you know, that's the government's responsibility. We should charge the 1%. <laughs> okay. In, in other words, God is saying, we should charge you. Because we are the 1%. Right? So what I'm saying is that maybe the reason that there are starving children all over the world is because the people God gave the money to, they aren't actually using the money. And so God is just waiting around like, well, when are y'all going to? Great book, Rich Christians in the Age of Hunger. He goes and explaining how we could literally wipe out poverty and like ten like hunger in ten years. We can do it. We just choose not to. 
rich Christians in the age of hunger. The book is called Rich Christians in the Age of Hunger. But what he talks about in, in the book is how we as a society, what we do. So his point is this. We make enough. I'm, I'm over my time. This is your fault. No, I'm just saying. <laughs> his point, his, his, the, the point that he's making is, is that, that the world is not experiencing a food shortage. We have enough food and grain to feed everybody on the planet. Here's the problem. The food, the, the, the grains that we need to feed hungry people around the world, we're feeding it to our cows because we want to eat Americans. <laughs> we want to eat steak <laughs> when we go to the, to the restaurants. And instead of allowing the cows to eat grass, like God made them to eat, <laughs> we take the grains that the people in the world need and we give it to our, our animals. And he just said, if we just stop doing that, if we just stop doing that, just stop feeding cows grain and let them eat grass and ship that, food, that, that, that grain to Africa and other, and other places, we could wipe out food, you know, um, um, food insecurity in within 10 years but we can't. <laughs> and so I, got, I think his point is that if Christians were just to, to make these changes, if just Christians were to make, make these changes, we could stamp out, uh, stamp out food insecurity. Yeah. Um, did I answer your question? So my point is, I did all of that whole 10 minutes just to say, the reason that God moves some people along slowly is not necessarily because of them. It's for, for the rest of us. Just like what God said for the nation of Israel when he sent them into the land, he said he did not move out all of the other nations um, immediately because Israel needed to learn how to fight. And that's why he left some of the other nations in the land so that they could learn how to, to fight. Same thing with us, that God sometimes needs to teach us how to, to, to grow spiritually. And in order to do that, he has uh, some people who are, are, who are poor so that we can learn to be generous and give, right? If, if there was no poverty, how would we uh, prove that we know Jesus? Now, we should prove that we know Jesus by giving when we see poverty, but a lot of times we just zoom, keep going on by. Somebody else needs to do that. Okay. Um, real quick, last two things. Oh, I didn't even read the verse. Um, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 about our sanctification. I'll just read this one verse, verse 13. He says, But we must always give thanks to God for you, brothers and sisters, beloved by the Lord, because God chose you as the first fruits for salvation through sanctification by the spirit and through belief in the truth. OK, so our sanctification is by the spirit. Um, um, Hebrews chapter nine. We all know that only God is eternal, right? Only God is eternal. 
The Bible also says that the Holy Spirit is eternal. It is a characteristic that is only applied to God. Everyone else is a creature. We are finite. God is the only one that is eternal. This passage says that the Holy Spirit is eternal. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 11. But when Christ came as a high priest of the good things that have come, then um, through the greater and perfect tent, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation, he entered once for all into the holy place, not with the blood of goats and calves, but with his own blood, thus obtaining eternal redemption. For if the blood of goats and bulls with the sprinkling of the ashes of a heifer sanctifies those who have been defiled so that their flesh is purified, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to wor worship the living God. So uh, I think Paul wrote the book of Hebrews. Um, but um, his point is that sacrificing animals the way they did in the Old Testament, that could not save you. OK, um, but Jesus offered himself. Right. And because he offered himself through the eternal spirit, through the Holy Spirit. Right. His sacrifice applies to us and it is once for all and it is eternally redeeming is this point because the holy spirit is eternal right he was able to use jesus's sacrifice to eternally save us last one and then i'm done acts chapter five i love this passage love this passage i love to talk use this passage when i talk to jehovah's witnesses Acts chapter 5, we all know the story of Ananias and Sapphira, right? They uh, sold some property, and they wanted to have their name engraved on the, the gold leaf in the back of the church. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> I don't know why when I see those things, I'll be like. <laughs> they, they, they wanted the recognition, okay, for, for giving. And so they came to church and said, I'm giving everything that I made off the sale of this property. But they had already agreed that they were only going to give a part of it and keep some for themselves, right? So, so listen to what, what the, um, the story. Okay, verse 1. But a man named Ananias, with the consent of his wife Sapphira, sold a piece of property with his wife's knowledge. He kept back some of the proceeds and brought only a part and laid it at the apostles' feet. Ananias, Peter asked, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back part of the proceeds of the land? So who did he lie to? Lied to the Holy Spirit. Verse four. While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, were not the proceeds at your disposal? How is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You did not lie to us, but to God. Okay. Verse four, he says, verse three, he says, you lied to the Holy Spirit. Verse four, he said, you lied to God. Now, 
that means that lying to the Holy Spirit is the same thing as lying to God, which means that the Holy Spirit must be God. And I've never had a good response from any Jehovah's Witness I've ever read that verse to. <laughs> All right. So ev- everyone see, um, we could do numerous passages, right? The point I'm, I, I want us to, uh, to see here is that th- the Bible makes uh, the claim repeatedly. We saw tons of verses on this um, when we fr- um, the first Sunday we started, especially in the book of Isaiah. There is only one God. Okay. There's not two gods. There's not three gods, right? We're not talking about what uh, what Mormons um, um, uh, Mormons say. We believe in tritheism, right? We're, we're not saying that there are three equal gods. That's not what we're saying. We're saying that there is one God, and when we say that there is one God, we're talking about their God's nature. Okay, there is only one set of attributes that is divine okay one one nature or essence that is divine um but the bible is very clear that there are three we say persons because that is the best that we as human beings can 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 say to understand this there are three persons that possess those attributes okay so that's why we where we get the 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 term trinity right it's a theological word to try to explain the concept that's found in the Bible. There are three persons that possess the same attributes. So that's why we say there are three persons, but one God. Everybody clear? Any other questions or comments before we uh, close out on the Trinity? Anything about the Holy Spirit, about the Father, about Jesus, or about the Trinity in general? Anybody? Going once. Going twice. All right. So. <laughs> All right. Um, uh, don't forget, we will uh, we'll, we will continue with Bible study. So we'll be in Bible study um, on Zoom this Wednesday at seven. And um, uh, we'll um, I'll answer any other questions about the Trinity that, that you have as we are are uh, closing out this uh, this this series. Um, again, we will start with the, the book of Malachi, all right, and we will we will uh, do more than just will a man rob God? Okay, all right, so much more in the book of Malachi than that, but uh, we'll, we'll we'll work our way through it. I'm a, I'm a, I'm going to try to be done with Malachi by the first Sunday in August. Okay, um, so I'm not trying to spend you know forever in in Malachi. It's it's five chapters. Um, I'm, I'm, it's five sections in the book of Malachi, so I'm going to try to hit, you know, one section a, su- um, a, a week. I'll try, see how that goes. But um, but uh, start reading it. Once you get through it five times, it'll help you to, to understand it. And um, we'll, that'll, that'll take us through the end of the summer. Um, well, yeah, the end of the summer, well, maybe in August. <laughs> you know, I can't do short series. All right, let's stand on our feet. I know I said we were sticking to an hour, but, you know, you know how it is when we we answer questions, right? I tried. I tried my best. I've been doing pretty good most of this pandemic, but. All right. 
again it's always so good um to um to to see each and every last one of you all we pray that uh, we all continue to um stay healthy all right and don't forget i know we are are um, all relaxing <laughs> right but um you know it's, it's still important for us to make sure that you know we continue to you know take your vitamins eat healthy um, you know, be better with your diet and exercise. All right. We're, we're trying Derek and Malcolm trying to kill me with these exercises they got me doing. But, um, you know, but it, it's important if, if, if nothing, we, we should learn that, um, from this pandemic, number one, that we all need to be better financially, right? Make sure we have, have our emergency funds in place, right? Cause you know, no one expected to not have a job for six months. All right. So now we need to work on <laughs> We're going to have an, an emergency fund set aside to help us through, you know, anything like that. And two, um, you know, this pandemic attack, it attacks anyone. But most of the people um, were people who had, you know, pre-existing conditions. All right. So what we need to work on is, you know, better diet, better exercise so that, you know, that um, we, you know, in the event of, a, of a, another pandemic or, or if there's a resurgence of this one, that that we're already in a place of, of health right um, um not fighting from a, a, a place of deficiency so um vitamins diet exercise finances all right that, that's our marching order moving forward amen? amen amen the lord bless you the lord keep you may the lord make his face to shine upon you may the lord lift the light of his countenance upon you and give you his peace for it is now unto him who's able to keep us from falling and to present us faultless before his presence with exceedingly great joy. To the only wise God, our Savior, be glory, majesty, dominion, and power, both now and forever. Amen. 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 Give somebody a fist bump before you go.